Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. I hope you are doing well. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, for being here uh, to worship Jesus together. So appreciative of all of you folks here. And uh, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, it is uh, it's great to be with you here. And, and I would just uh, ask a big favor of you. Uh, we love the chance to reach out and just say thank you so much for your visit. So if you can do me a huge favor at some point today, just let us know that you're here. If it is your first time, you do that one of two ways. You can text the word welcome right there to that number. So all you got to do is just pull out your phone, text welcome to that number. It'll send you a link. You can fill out some information if you want to, but uh, just texting that number lets me know that you were here and it gives me a chance to give you a call and thank you for your visit. Or if you prefer, we have cards, our welcome cards. You can find them on the table back here or the table outside next to the coffee. Just fill that out. Leave the card there where you found it. And again, it just gives us a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And you find us uh, walking verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out and flip to Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17 and carry it through the end of the chapter and finish out chapter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, no worries. We got the verses on the screen behind me. Uh, you can also grab a Bible from the table back there uh, as our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one home today. Um, so go ahead, Acts chapter 5. As you're turning there, just kind of give you a recap, let you know what's been going on up to this point. So if you uh, kind of go back a little bit, a few weeks, we dug through chapter four. And in chapter four, we see the very first persecution of the early church. We see uh, Peter and John being arrested at the temple, standing on trial. We see this the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish council at that time, giving them strict orders, right? Stop talking about Jesus. Stop or else, right? And they look at him and say, no, we're not going to do that. Y'all do what you got to do. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to keep, we, we can't help but talk about Jesus. And we see this beautiful picture of life within the church. So there's, there's opposition coming from the outside. And at the beginning of chapter five, we saw this a couple weeks ago, we see opposition from the inside, right? Satan just won't leave this thing alone. And we see the sin of Ananias and Sapphira and what happens with that and, and how sin can just wreak havoc on our lives and in the church. We don't take it seriously. We don't deal with it. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And now we're going to see what happens next here in the early church, starting in verse 17 of Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read it, carry it through to the end of the chapter, and then we'll spend our time chatting about it. All right, starting in verse 17, it says this, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, which is one kind of section of the Jewish religious council. You had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees really don't like the apostles. These are the same guys from chapter four that arrested them. So we see here, they're filled with jealousy. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. I love this part. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. When we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. 
And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they found, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So if you remember uh, when we were going through chapter four, I told you that that, that first persecution was just the beginning. It's just the start. And it's going to ramp up from there, right? And we see some next steps taken in the persecution here, right? It's not just Peter and John being arrested. It's all the apostles being arrested. And they're not just warned and threatened. They're now given a beating before they're released. And we're going to see this as we continue to track through Acts. So this, this, again, this persecution is only going to ramp up. It's only going to get worse. Opposition is only going to increase. But the incredible thing that we see here in Acts chapter 5 is that no matter how bad the opposition gets, no matter how much Satan and his attacks come against the mission of God, God's mission does not stop. It doesn't stop. The gospel advances. It continues to spread. People continue to put their faith and trust in Jesus. No matter what opposition comes, God's mission does not stop. And we see here in Acts chapter 5, there's now, a, there's now a clear line being drawn. On one side, you have people opposing God, working against God. And on the other side, you have the apostles and followers of Jesus walking in obedience to God. So we have this, this line drawn. We have obedience to God and we have opposition to God. And if you underline things in, in your Bible or, or circle them or, or whatever you may do, I want you to circle two words. Both of them are obey. Uh, we see this in verse 29 where the apostles again say we must obey. Circle that word, obey God rather than men. 
And then in verse 32, they jump down talking about how their witnesses and the Holy Spirit is given to them because they obey God. Circle that word obey. And then Gamaliel in his warning, he tells people, he tells people, you better be careful because if this is from God, you're going to be found opposing him. Underline that word opposing or, or circle that word opposing God. That, that word literally means to fight against God, fighting against God. So there's this clear line being drawn between obedience to God and opposition to God. And, and the council, the apostles had this choice before them. What, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to walk in obedience or are we going to continue in opposition? And church, we, we have the same choice today. Will we obey God? Will we walk in obedience to God? Or will we do our own thing? Will we walk in opposition to God? If you're here and you claim the name of Jesus, you say, Travis, yes, yes, I'm a believer. I've put my faith in Jesus. Well, church, I want you to hear that, that we as God's people, we are to walk in obedience to God, not in opposition to God. We're to walk in obedience to God, not in opposition to God. So I just want to spend our time talking about this morning. I want to give you three things that we see in this text about obedience to God, walking in and living in obedience to Him. So the first point, if you're taking notes here, uh, first point is obedience follows God's Word. Obedience follows God's Word. Obedience follows the Word of God. And this is what we've seen. We've seen this example over and over and over again already. We're only five chapters in to the book of Acts, and we see this example set before us with the lives of the apostles, with the lives of the church, that they are walking in continual obedience to God's word, right? Like Jesus, we talked about this at the very beginning of the sermon, all the way back in January. Jesus gives the church, gives his disciples a mission, right? He gets before them right before he ascends, and he says, I want you to be my witnesses, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? That's, that's the mission that they've been given. That's the word, the command that Jesus gave them. And they're doing that, right? Like they're doing that. We see this time and time again, they continue to preach and teach about Jesus. And they're in the temple all the time talking about Jesus. Even though they've been warned not to, they know that God's word supersedes any other command they've been given, right? So they, they follow God's word. And we, we see this continue to spread, right? I'm going to reread uh, verses 12 through 16 of Acts chapter 5. We read this a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to reread it again just to set the stage as to what's going on here. So if look up a few verses, starting in verse 12. It says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's a section of the temple. They were all there every day, day after day. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So even, even those that, that didn't believe, the non-believers out there, still respected and liked the apostles, liked the church at this time. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, that, that word means a lot, okay? There's a Greek scholar word for the day. Multitude means a bunch of people, all right? A bunch of people putting their faith in Jesus, men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats as Peter came by, lest his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I'm just trying to picture that. We got, we got multitudes, a bunch of people coming and putting their faith in Jesus. Sick people are just being laid out so that Peter walking by, so his shadow might even fall on them and they're healed. Y'all, that's crazy. Holy Spirit's doing some wild, incredible, amazing stuff at this time. 
It's awesome, right? People are, are being brought in, not just to Jerusalem, but from surrounding towns, being brought in to hear the message of Jesus. So this is the backdrop of what happens in verses 17 through 42. So the apostles are preaching, teaching, people getting healed, multitudes coming and putting their faith in Jesus. And here are these Jewish religious leaders, these Sadducees, and y'all, they don't, they don't like it one bit. They don't like it one bit. They hated it. And it says that they were filled with jealousy. Now, why are they filled with jealousy? Why are they filled with jealousy? A few different reasons, right? Like, they, they told the apostles not to do this, and here they are doing the very thing they told them not to do. So they're mad about that. They're, they're jealous that people are coming and following them and listening, that their power and influence is slipping away, and they hate it. They hate it. So they arrest the apostles. I love this. They, they arrest the apostles. They throw them in jail for the night. They're like, we'll see y'all in the morning. And God's like, no, nah, I got a different plan. He sends an angel and sets them free. And just like side note, side note on that. I just, I, people like God has a sense of humor. You can't tell me otherwise because the Sadducees, the guys who are leading this charge, didn't believe in the supernatural. First of all, I don't know how you believe in God and not the supernatural, but whatever. We don't have time to dig into that. They didn't believe in the supernatural. So they didn't believe in angels. And here God is like, oh, y'all don't believe in angels? I'm going to send an angel and set these people free. Just watch me, y'all. Like, I love that. God's just hilarious like that. So the, an angel sets them free. And then what does the angel tell them to do? Go back to the temple and keep preaching. And at that point, I'm like, wait, wait, hold up. I'd be like, time out, angel. Hold on. Let me just, let me just ask a clarifying question. You, you know, I, I was in jail 10 seconds ago. You set me free. And now you're telling me to go back and do the very thing that got me arrested in the first place at the same place that I got arrested. I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go home. You do you, angel. I'm gonna go home. But the apostles, they, they didn't do that, right? They, they, they were set free and told to go back and do the very same thing that they were doing that got them arrested. And they were like, yes, Lord, whatever you want, let's do this. So they go back to the temple and they start preaching. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because they were dedicated to following the word of God. They were dedicated no matter what may come, no matter what that looked like, they were going to follow and obey what God said to do. So when he sets them free, he's like, hey, go back and do that same thing. They're like, done. Let's do this. Going. They were dedicated to following the word of God, to walking in obedience to the word of God. And you know, that, that's, that's to be us too. If we're believers of Jesus, our lives should be marked with obedience to this right here, to obedience to the word of God. Let me just be real clear about what it means to obey God's word. Obedience involves hearing God's word, believing God's word, and then doing God's word. Right, we need all three of those. We got we to hear God's word. We have to believe God's word. And then we have to actually do God's word. We have to do God's word. How many of you guys, uh, pets, people in here, how many of y'all have, have a dog, dog people in the room? Let me see your hands, dog people. Okay, now how many have yet to repent and are cat people? It's okay, it's a safe place. All right, church discipline for all of you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I got my first dog uh, when I was, 
I was in college. It wasn't my first, but it was the first one that, like I was actually in charge of, which looking back, terrible decision, really bad call on my part, but I really wanted a dog. And I was living at home in South Florida with my, my dad and stepmom, my little brother and sister. So I finally convinced them to let me get a dog. And they were like, all right, one rule, it's just got to be good with little kids. Cause my little brother and sister were, were young at the time. And I like, wouldn't want some dog like attacking them. I was like, okay, cool. I got it. So I did some research, talked to some other dog people and they were like, Hey, you should get a puggle. You should get a puggle. And it's a pug and a beagle mix. It's adorable. Like it's super cute. Couldn't find a picture right now, but, but it's super cute dog, right? Uh, super cute dog. So I got the dog. Uh, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. Actually, I don't know that he made it there. I'll tell you why in a second. But anyways, anyways, we, we did have to, we did have to put him down as, as our kids were born. He just got, he got old. He was, he was really old at that point. But so I got a dog when I was in college and y'all, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to train the dog. I didn't know what to do with the dog. I eventually got the dog to go to the bathroom outside. So I was in I was like, cool, I'm done. I'm done training the dog. Y'all, this dog was terrible. It was terrible. The most disobedient dog I think I've ever been around. And here's the thing that I didn't know. Beagles, super smart, super sweet for the most part, all of them, but can be stubborn, can be stubborn. And, and I feel like the, the smart aspect of beagles, that didn't make it to my dog, Rudy. Rudy was his name. It didn't make it to Rudy. He was not, not the sharpest dog out there, but very stubborn very stubborn and would always do the exact opposite of what you wanted him to do. So like one of the things he loved doing was getting in the trash. No matter how many times I told him not to do that, no matter how many times I hid the trash from him, he would find it, y'all. He'd find it and then spread it all throughout the house. Love doing it. Another thing that we tried to get him not to do was, uh, uh, he was kind of cat-like in this, which I, that should have been a red flag right away. But uh, anyway, I'm just kidding, y'all. Love cats too. They're great. Um, he would, he would lay on top of the couch cushions like a cat does, only he, you know, wasn't as light as a cat. Uh, so it, it would like sing down. We still own these, these couches. So if you come in our living room, you might see the, the, the cushions kind of folded in in some places. Yeah, that's from Rudy, just perching himself up on the top of the cat, uh, on the top of the couch. So anyways, he just would not do it. Like he would look at you. You'd say, hey, don't do this. He'd look at you. Like you knew he heard it. You knew he understood it. And then he would choose to go do the opposite, right? And it was just such a good reminder uh, of me, like how often is that me in my spiritual life, right? Like how often do, do I hear God's word? How often do, do I agree with God's word? And yet my life looks the exact opposite, looks the exact opposite. I and mean, this is what James warns us about in James chapter one, where he says, hey, don't just be hearers of the word only. Yes, hear the word of God. That's good. Good job hearing. But now you've got to do the word of God. You got to do the word of God. So we have to hear God's word, we have to believe God's word, then we have to do God's word. And see, so often we, we stop at just hearing, right? We just hear that we're like, reading our Bible, okay, do that, sure, okay, I, I heard that. Or we listen to a sermon, yeah, preacher man, I, I hear what you're saying, heard that, and then we're just on to the next thing, right? Like just on to the next thing, doing our thing. We, we hear it, but it stops at hearing. It goes in one ear and eventually right out the other one. Sometimes we stop at hearing. Sometimes we, we stop at believing. You might even read God's word and go, oh man, oh, that's so good, y'all. That's so good. Do you, you see this, man? You see, oh, how awesome is that? How cool is that? Like breaking down the, like, oh, that's so amazing. How cool is the word of God? Look at, look how awesome that is. Yeah, that's good. We hear it. We might even hear a sermon and be like, hey, y'all, we might even get Pentecostal in here and yell amen sometimes. I know, it's crazy, right? Like revival's breaking out if I get one amen in the sermon. We might even say amen. We, we hear it. We believe it. We agree with it. We're like, yes, yes, that's good. But then we don't follow through. We don't actually do the word of God. To walk in obedience to God's word, we need all three. We have to hear it. 
We have to believe it has to impact our hearts. We have to agree with it. And then we have to follow through with our lives. And look, this is so often we just overcomplicate things when it comes to our spiritual lives. You know what it looks like to obey the word of God? It means to read God's word, do what it says, and don't do what it says not to do, right? Like, it's simple as that. It's as simple as that. We follow what we see in God's word. When we see a command, when we see God instructing us, we say yes to that and we match it with our lives. We're to, to walk in an authority under the word of God, right? The, the, the word of God has ultimate authority over our lives. This is what that means. To walk in obedience to God's word means that this has ultimate authority. So what, what, that, what that means is that this is not just a book of, of nice suggestions, right? Like this is not just, hey, Travis, if you have time, do this. Hey, Travis, if it works out with your schedule, maybe consider these things. Hey, Travis, if, if, if you would so happen to agree with these things, maybe just consider doing it. You know, whatever you want to do at the end of the day, it's up to you. Like, no, that, that's not what it means to walk in obedience to God's word. This is not a list of, of nice suggestions. These are commands from the very God who created us. So when we read God's word, we hear it, we believe it, and then we do it. What that means is, is I follow God's word over my desires, opinions, or preferences. See, when I come to God's word, well, we can be real. Again, this is a safe place. We can be honest. There, there are some things that I, I read God's word and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. No, I don't like the way that sounds. Because I know if I, if I do that, here's the things that in my life would need to change, right? Look, we, we can have different opinions when we come to God's word and go, man, I don't, that's tough. I don't, I don't really like that. I don't, I don't know about that. But when we live under the authority of God's word, when we walk in obedience to God's word, what that means is, is I don't change God's word to fit my opinions or preferences. I change my opinions or preferences to fit God's word. We don't try to work around and go, well, I don't like that, so let me figure out, oh, that's just, that's just cultural from the time. That's, you know, that doesn't really apply to, oh, that's, that's in the Old Testament. We don't need, we're New Testament believers, right? That doesn't apply to us. And sure, some things are like that in Scripture, and we got to do the hard work of figuring that out. But we don't change God's Word. We, we let God's Word change us. That's what it means to walk in obedience. So we follow God's word over our opinions and desires and preferences. We, we follow God's word over my upbringing. You know, it's not good enough to go, well, I, you know, I see that in God's word, but I just, I just wasn't brought up that way. That's just not what I grew up believing. Okay, well, I, sometimes the things that I grew up believing were wrong. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay. So we, we follow God's word, even over our upbringing. We follow God's word over the culture, over other people, over other influences in our life. If we're going to walk in obedience to God's word, this has to have the primary seat of influence in my life. These are the very words of God given to us to mold us and shape us and make us more like him. So we follow, we follow God's word. So obedience follows God's word. The second thing we see in this passage is obedience brings freedom. Obedience brings freedom. So obedience to God brings true and lasting freedom to our lives. But I think sometimes we, we believe the exact opposite, right? And we've talked about this before. Sometimes we, we wrongly believe that, that in order to have true freedom, it means that, that I'm outside of anybody telling me what my life should look like, right? Like it means that I get to do whatever I want to do. That's true freedom. And we bring that mindset in, into our spiritual lives, 
And we wrongly believe that, that man, if I, if I follow God's word, my walk in obedience to him, well, that's just, that's just a bunch of boring rules that prevent me from actually enjoying life. Like, I can't, I can't do all this other stuff that I want to do. Like, what are you talking about? That's not freedom. I'm telling you, that, that's a lie from the devil, y'all. That's a, that's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, look, look again at this passage, and let's, let's ask ourselves, who is truly free in this passage? Who's truly free here? I think on the surface, it, it's easy to answer. Like, it's the council, right? It's the Jewish council. They're the ones that are free. They're, they're not under arrest. They didn't get put in jail. They're not the ones on trial here. They're the free ones. The apostles are, are enslaved right now. Like, they're, they're the ones that, that are, are, are not free, right? Like, I think that's the easy answer on, on the surface. And I think if we could go back and ask the council, hey, do y'all, do y'all feel free in this moment? I think they would say, yes, of course we're free. We got power over these guys. We can do whatever we want to with them. We're the free ones. They're not. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. The council is really enslaved. They're, they're enslaved to their sin. I mean, look, look, at how, look at how they're operating. We talked about this a little bit ago, but they're filled with, with jealousy. They're filled with jealousy, and they're letting that drive them. They are completely held captive by their emotions, and they're filled with anger, right? Like when the apostles tell them, hey, y'all, we're not going to follow you. We're not obeying you. We're obeying God. It says they're, they're so mad they want to kill the apostles right then and there. They're filled with anger. Their power and their influence is being stripped away from them. They can feel it and they're mad about it and they're angry. They're filled with guilt. I mean, did you notice, did you notice that when they're questioning them, they say, uh, verse 28, we, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. They know what name they're preaching and teaching about. They know the name of Jesus. They're not ignorant. They can't even bring themselves to say his name. And they say, this is just laughable at this point. They say, and you want to you bring this man's blood upon us. Like you want to you blame us for this guy's death? Oh, I'm sorry. Just a, a, a few months ago, if we, if we go back and look at the gospel narrative of when Pontius Pilate is standing before the Jewish people like, hey, y'all, y'all really want to kill? He's innocent. Y'all want to kill this guy? then the blood's on your hands. And these same Jewish leaders say, bring it on. Put his blood on me, my kids, my kids' kids. Bring it on. Like, this is exactly what they wanted. But they're so filled with guilt, like they can't even acknowledge these things. And they're filled with fear. Filled with fear. Did you notice that when, when the temple guard went back to, to arrest the, the apostles at the temple, they didn't use force because they were scared of the crowd. Remember, the crowd likes the apostles, likes the church at this moment. And they're so scared and terrified of the crowd that they're like, oh, excuse me, apostles, sirs, can you, if you, if it's okay, would you, would you mind just, you know, walking with us? Like, please, if you don't, if you wouldn't mind just coming with us. Like, they're, they're filled with fear. So they're filled and controlled by their sin. And that's exactly what sin does. It's exactly what sin does. It enslaves us. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we bought our first home in, in Buford, Georgia, and then, uh, and then we sold it. We wanted to kind of downsize and uh, get something that fit more within, uh, within our means and within our budget. So we sold our house. Good news, praise God, sold quickly, right? Sold quickly for more than we paid for it. It was awesome. But that left us without a home. <laughs> we didn't have a place to go. There was no houses on the market that we were like, ooh, we want to live there and put a bunch of money into that place. So we just didn't feel right about that. So we were just kind of like, 
all right, we're just going to pray see what happens. And so we just started telling like, y'all pray for us. Like we're, we have to be out of our house at the end of July and we have nowhere to go. And then finally, one of our, one of our friends we were close to, uh, her parents had a house in Buford and, and they were in Chicago at that time. So both of them had jobs in Chicago. They, they were living here, but now they're in Chicago. They were staying with family up there. So they wanted to keep their house here in Buford. So it was just sitting empty. And, and they were finally like, oh, yeah, Kinder Traps, yeah, we love them. They, they can stay at our house. They can stay at our house. And, and you know what? We're, no charge. No rent. No nothing. We're, we're going to pay for everything. We want to bless y'all with this. And, and y'all, I'm telling you, like, this house was nice. Nice house. Like, it was, like, legit. Like, it was in a nice neighborhood, a nice house. Like, we could have, we can never, could never afford a house. Like, it was nice house. So it was like three stories, finished bit. Like it was awesome. Like it was, it was great. Like we're just in this huge house with our two kids. And we're like, I don't even know what to do with this. This is just amazing. This family was just so generous, so incredible. They, they, they blessed us with that. Well, a couple of months in to living there, uh, we started, you know, we were upstairs. We started to hear in the attic, like there's little feet walking around, little feet. And my kids couldn't get up there. So no, it wasn't them, but it was little, little feet walking around. I would go up there and when we'd hear it, be like, oh, go, 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 go check. What is that? So I go up there with a flashlight, I'm looking around. Nothing. I don't see anything. I see, you know, just little things on the ground. I just, you know, it's like black dirt is what I thought it was. I don't know what it is. Just, you know, little black, yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm like, oh, there's nothing up there. I don't hear it. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Well, finally, one day we hear it running. We're upstairs putting the kids to bed. We hear something. The kids are like, go check right now. So I pull the attic down. I go up there and y'all, I see it. I lock eyes with it. And it's a little squirrel, a little squirrel running around. And that was not black dirt. I'll leave that to your imagination what it was, but it wasn't black dirt that was scattered all across the attic. Come to find out, we let the homeowners know, like, hey, y'all, I found a squirrel. I don't know what's going on, but there's squirrels in your attic. We get the pest company in there. And again, this family's in Chicago, so we're like interfacing with the pest company. And they're like, okay, yeah, you got, you got squirrels. And I didn't know this, something... I learned, but the squirrels in Georgia, like when they find a house to get into, they like spread the word. I mean, they're like putting it out there, blasting social media. I don't know. They're letting all their little squirrel friends know, hey, y'all, safe place over here. Y'all come hang out. And like, it just like takes over your house. Didn't know that. Thankfully, we caught it. There was only like three of them camping out in there. Uh, but anyways, so what the pest guy did was they, they sealed up everything around the house and they set these traps in there. You know, like with traps, you put some bait in there, it lures them in. And they're like, hey, when... When a squirrel gets in the trap, let us know. I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta like check that every night. They're like, no, you'll hear it. It's like, okay, that's a little terrifying, but all right, sure, sounds good. So sure enough, like when the when a squirrel goes in there, like there's this clap. I woke y'all up. Then I there's this like clap with the with the trap closing. So the, the squirrel would go in and get the bait, and the door would just like shut behind it, and it can't get out. And then it would go crazy. So yeah, he was right. We would hear it. So anyways, we hear that one night. Boom shuts the door. I go up there. I'm like, oh, yep, got one of them. And then they, they'd come, they'd, they'd carry down the trap and they'd reset it and put it back. And I'm like, good stuff. Finally, you know, all three of them get caught. And our kids thought it was crazy. Like, here's this guy coming down, carrying a squirrel, like, ooh, squirrel. I have no idea what he did with the squirrels after that. I'm just going to, you know, leave that up to, to them and the Lord to figure out. But, uh, but anyways, the squirrels got taken out and, uh, and everything was good at that point. That's exactly what sin does to us, right? It, it, it enslaves us. It lures us in with this lie of, man, how, how good is this? Hey, Travis, yeah, come, come do this. Yeah, hey, hey, God's wrong on that. This way's better, right? Like we wrongly believe that sin provides a better way. And then we, we step into that. And then as soon as we do, we're enslaved. We're enslaved and we're trapped. And now we're stuck with our sin. But thankfully, the good news of Jesus is that his way sets us free. 
That's the good news of the gospel. Like, like the apostles say here, Jesus came to bring repentance and forgiveness and faith to the people of Israel. He doesn't want them to live in their sin anymore. Through faith in Jesus, we can be set free from our sin. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to live that way anymore. We get to follow Jesus and his way brings life. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says this, Romans 6, starting in 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You know, we're slaves to whoever we follow, to whatever we follow. And that can be sin. We can choose to, to live for sin, follow sin, chase after sin. But as Paul reminds us, that, that's the way of death. That's the way to death and destruction. Being slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus, following his way. That leads to life. That leads to to freedom. I mean, just, just think about the things that God calls us to and how it sets us free. And God calls us to generosity. Why does he call us to generosity? Because when we're generous with what God has blessed us with, it sets us free from greed and materialism. When we live for money, when we chase after money, when we desire the material stuff of this world, guess what happens? You're never satisfied. How many people that, that are living for that, you hear like, I've got enough. I'm good now. No, they always want more and more and more. But when we're generous with what God has blessed us with, not only are we following God's way, but it sets us free from being tied to the things of this world. And we can actually enjoy the blessings of God because we're not holding tightly onto them. We're not living for them. We're not chasing after them. Generosity sets us free from greed. God calls us to forgiveness, even to forgive those who sin against us. Why? Why? Because it sets us free from hate and anger and bitterness and resentment and these things that just take over our lives. He calls us to, to faith and to trust in him, even in the little things, because it frees us from feeling like we've got to control and manipulate every situation. No, when we trust, we, we give it to God in his sovereign and good hands, and we just trust him with it, right? It makes life so much easier. God calls us to serve him and others because it frees us from selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, we, we could go on and on and on. The point is, God's word it isn't just a bunch of rules to keep us from enjoying life. No, no, God's word leads us to life. It gives us life. It gives us freedom. Obedience to God brings freedom. All right, our third point will end here. Obedience sets us apart. Obedience sets us apart. So one of the main reasons God calls us to obedience is to set us apart, is, is to lead us to live differently than the world around us. He wants us to live a different life. And this is the entire point of the Old Testament law. That's why I love Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And yeah, we read it and it's like, man, it's really boring. No, it's really good. It's really awesome because it shows us God's heart. It shows us God's heart. And we see in the Old Testament law that God calls his people to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. 
He's holy, and he wants his people to live differently than the world around us. That the word holiness in your Bible means to be set apart. It means to live set apart. doesn't mean that we live separated, right? We don't separate us and, and wall ourselves up from the world. We can't do that. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean to live separately. It means to live differently. As Jesus said, we are, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not like the world. He calls us to be set apart, to live differently. This passage ends with, with two ways that we're set apart when we follow God's word. First one, obedience sets us apart in our mindset. Look at verse 41 again. Obedience sets us apart in our mindset. It says this, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing. On the count of three, you guys say rejoicing. One, two, three. They left rejoicing. They were arrested, they were threatened, they were beaten, and they left rejoicing. Rejoicing, because as it says there, I mean, look, look what it says. Why were they rejoicing? They, they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Oh, that's crazy. Who does that? Who rejoices in the midst of suffering like that, of your lives being threatened, of being beaten severely? Like, who does that? That's crazy. That's only explainable by God. Only explainable by God. When we follow God's ways, it gives us, it gives us a different path. It sets us apart from everything and everybody else. It gives us a different way. We're, we're able to rejoice in suffering. We're able to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. We're able to have peace and comfort and joy even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of our difficult days. See, we, when we follow Jesus, we, we shouldn't make sense to the rest of the world, right? Like we should stay up here and be like, I don't know about that Travis, man. He's a little crazy. He's a little, there's something off with that guy. Something off with him. He's He's different. That should be said of us. We should be different. Our lives should look different than the rest of the world. And this, this, is, the, this is the cool thing about Jesus. Man, we, when we follow him, when we walk in obedience to him, he, he gives us a new way to look, right? It's almost like, like it, when, you, when you wear glasses or contacts, you take them out and you can't see, and you put them in and you're like, oh man, I can finally see, right? I can finally see. Well, that's what Jesus does. When we follow Jesus, he gives us Jesus glasses. He gives us Jesus glasses and we can, we can see the world, we can see around us, we can see our lives and our circumstances through the vision of Jesus, through the lens and the glasses of Jesus. He gives us a different way to look because, because when, we, when we look through the Jesus glasses that we're given, we follow him and we, we see our lives in the midst of, of, of his power, of his authority, of his sovereign hand, of his word, of his blessing. We, we can see whatever may come, we, we know what's, what's promised to us, right? No matter how bad this world gets, the truth is those of us who have put our name in, in Jesus, have put, put our faith in the name of Jesus, this is the closest to hell we will ever get. No matter how dark and difficult this life gets, we, we can look through the lens of Jesus and know what's promised, know what's coming. Know that, that as we see here, as, as Gamaliel reminds us that, man, if this is of God, there's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. He will accomplish his will and his purpose. He will win the victory. And nothing can stop that. I mean, we can see things through his way, through his lens. So we can have hope. We can have faith. We can have peace. We can have joy and follow wherever he leads. So obedience 
sets us apart in our mindset and how we view the world. Second thing about being set apart, obedience sets us apart for mission. Obedience sets us apart for mission. Look again at verse 42. What else did they do when they left? Not only were they rejoicing, it says this, in every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They went out from this and they didn't stop talking about Jesus. They kept talking. They kept preaching. They kept proclaiming the name of Jesus. They kept following his mission, his direction to go and be his witness, right? And and when Jesus saves us, when Jesus saves us, there's a reason that he doesn't just take us right in here and, and put us in heaven, right? Like when we put our faith in Jesus and he just zaps us right to heaven, he could do that if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Why? Because when Jesus saves us, he saves us for a purpose. He saves us for his mission. And you know, we've been given the same directive that the apostles were given in Acts 1.8, to go and be his witnesses to go and be his witnesses. And look, as, as we talked about, the apostles were obedient to this, to this mission, right? The, the council even confirms this. Look again at verse 28. They said, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You filled Jerusalem. Where's the first place Jesus said to go and be his witness? Jerusalem. They've done that. What's coming next? We're going to see this unfold in the next couple of chapters. Where are they going next? Judea and Samaria. And then eventually to the ends of the earth. They are obedient to God's mission. And we're to be obedient to the same mission. We are to be his witnesses. Now here's here's the deal, because I want to be honest with you and not just paint a picture of rainbows and unicorns and just all, all things wonderful, right? Following Jesus is wonderful. And it's amazing. It's incredible. But the truth is what we see in scripture, it's not always going to be easy. See, when Jesus calls us, when we walk in obedience to his ways, his ways are not always easy, safe, and comfortable. As we see here, the apostles were arrested. And yeah, they were set free. And eventually they were let go. But first, they were given a beating. And that's just a really light, we can just gloss over that, oh, they were given a beating, maybe they just punched in the gut one time. No, they, what that means is they were, they were given a flogging, and that meant 39 lashes with a whip that sometimes killed people who did that. When it says that they left this place rejoicing, they left rejoicing, but they were beaten, they were bruised, they were bloodied, they were broken but they continued to trust. They continued to walk in obedience. They continued to give their lives for the mission. Look, y'all, when we follow Jesus, if we're really going to follow Jesus, it's going to put us in Satan's crosshairs. When we're not following Jesus, Satan doesn't care. He loves that. He's like, yeah, Travis, you just keep doing you, man. I don't need to bother you. You keep doing that. Keep, Keep disobeying. Keep living in sin. That's great. That's what I want. But when we choose to walk in obedience, it does. It puts us in harm's way. But our God is bigger and better and stronger. So when he calls, he doesn't always call us to the safe, to the easy, to the comfortable. He calls us to him. He calls us to mission. He calls us to obedience. I was reminded uh, this week of the story of a missionary named Karen Watson. 
Karen Watson worked as a detention officer in Bakersfield, California, but in 2004, God called her into the mission field. In 2004, she left her friends and her family and her church back home, and she went over to Iraq to preach and spread the name of Jesus. And she went with three others, but sadly, shortly after she got there and started her work, her and her group were killed by terrorists. Now, before she died, she wrote a letter to her church back home, sent it to her pastors, said, only open this and read it if I die. And she did, and they opened her letter, and, and they read these words. She writes, when, when God calls, there are no regrets. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. His glory, my reward. She ends her letter with, I, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to obedience. He calls us to mission. He calls us to service. He calls us to him. And that might mean that he brings you halfway across the world into some of the most unsafe and dangerous places for his name and his glory. He might do that. I don't know. What I do know is that for right now, he's called us here. He's called us here. This is our mission field. He might not call you across the world, but he has called you across the street. He has called you to your neighbors, to this community, to this city, to this county. And he's called us with his mission to bring the saving message of Jesus to those who don't know him. Is that always going to be easy? No, it's not. Is it always going to be comfortable? No, no. You're going to have to have some uncomfortable, maybe awkward conversations with those in your lives? Yes, you might. But he hasn't called us to the safe, easy, and comfortable. He's called us to him. He's called us to his mission. And again, we have a choice. We can walk in obedience, or we can walk in opposition. Church, I, I say, I want to encourage you, let's Let's follow the footsteps of Karen Watson. Let's follow the footsteps of the apostles. Let's follow the footsteps of Jesus himself and walk in obedience to him. Remember the words of Karen that there is no joy outside of knowing and serving Jesus Christ wherever he may lead. It's for those in here who claim the name of Jesus, he saved us and with his salvation comes a mission. It comes a purpose. He has set us apart for him. He's called us to walk in obedience to that. And we know we can remind ourselves and believe fully and have full confidence that when we follow him, when we walk in obedience to him, wherever he may lead, however he may lead, that that's the path of life. That's the path of freedom. So church, let's do that.
Let's follow Jesus wherever he may lead. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to do what we do every single Sunday. The band's going to come back up here, lead us in a couple of songs. And for the believers in the room, for those of you who have put your name, or put your faith in the name of Jesus, we're going to enter into a time of communion. So this is, this is a time only for believers. So Christian in the room, I want to encourage you, spend some time as I pray, as the band comes up and play. I want, I want to encourage you, take, take time, whatever time you need. Take your time. Spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to, to, to repent and say, Jesus, I, I actually, I, I'm walking in opposition, not in obedience. Maybe you need to spend some time repenting of that. And look, that's the beauty of the cross. He wants us to repent. He wants us to come back to him. He gives us all the grace and mercy and second and 15th and 100 billionth chances to turn back to him. So turn back to him. Let's not live in opposition. Let's live in obedience. So take the time you need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe just spend some time repenting of sin. Maybe just spend some time just, just rejoicing and thanking Jesus for the salvation that he's given. That he has called us to a purpose. That he hasn't just left us here to figure out what we're supposed to do with our lives. That he's given us his word to follow and walk in obedience to. Maybe just spend some time rejoicing and worshiping. And as you feel led, believer in the room, we, we have the elements on either side of the room. You come and, and you take the cup, you take the bread, and you remember the broken body of Jesus, the, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for the salvation of our sins. We take, we eat, we drink, and we worship our good God and Savior. If you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, as this time isn't for you, I want you to know it can be. God stands with his arms wide open to all who would call on him, to all who would repent and trust in him. Do that today. Stop living in opposition. Stop chasing after your sin that only leads to death and destruction. Come to Jesus. All that means is you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I want to live for you. That's you. I encourage you. Come take your first communion as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God. And then come, let, let me, let somebody know here so we can celebrate with you and pray with you and encourage you and, and come alongside you in this time. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your salvation, Lord. Lord, what the Bible reminds us is when we are we are outside of you, and we are not living for you, and we are, we are left to our own and our sin, Lord. We are in opposition. When it says that, that you died for us while we were still sinners, that apart from you, we are dead in our sins, that we are children of wrath, Lord, we were in opposition, and yet you saved us. You rescued us. You redeemed us. You set us free. You forgave us of all our sins, Jesus. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. Let us now give our lives in service to you, Jesus. Let us follow you in obedience wherever that may lead. Let us follow your word, whatever that may look like, Lord. Show us the spots where we're choosing ourselves or our culture or those around us or whatever it may look like. Show us where we're walking in opposition Lord, so that we can repent and come back in obedience to you and enjoy the freedom that you give us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all that you've done for us. It's your name we pray.